All right, well, we're going to jump into James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 tonight, and we're talking about outward battles, inward war. Let me ask you all, how many of you guys like watching a good murder mystery? Anybody? Like you're, you're that guy, you watch CSI, something like that, maybe uh, Dateline or 2020, one of those shows that um, just shows uh, what happens in, in a specific person's life or a couple, maybe it's a family, and at first it often looks like picture perfect. Hey, it looks like uh, they had a great marriage, they have kids, they lived in the right uh, neighborhood, the, the right house, everything was great and wonderful, and then the plot continues, the narrative shows that things were not as perfect as you thought, and oftentimes uh, what looks like uh, an ideal situation has uh, lots of evil behind it and in it, and before you know it, there's some heinous crime that's committed. And that's why the show is a show, because there was a heinous crime, right? And so most of us, at some point, especially if you're sitting next to a spouse or someone uh, watching this, you turn and you look to the person next to you and you say, say how could anybody do that? You ever said that? Like, how could, they, how could they do that? Look at what they had. And yet they committed that crime. Whether it be murder, adultery, anything in between. And James tonight is telling us, listen, there's a lot of outward battles. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of violence in the world. Uh, but it often comes from an inward war. There's something deep-rooted in each one of us, in our hearts. There's a wickedness, a selfishness that is the core root of those issues. So before we judge how everybody out there, the, even the craziest stuff you've seen, recognize that like we got some of the same struggles going on in us. Let me ask you, when you think about your own arguments, disagreements with your spouse, coworkers, boss, friends, family, even internal struggles, uh, where do they come from? Are they primary ex primarily external or are they internal? Do they come from within or do they arise because of things that have happened to you, right? See, it's easy for most of us in our marriage, in our relationships, to blame and to say, well, I wouldn't have done this if they didn't do that. Or if they wouldn't have said this, then I, I definitely wouldn't have responded this way. And yet James is saying, listen, external stuff happens to all of us. Things that you can't control happen to all of us. But what causes issues, strife, and fighting, and conflict in your life, man, it is an internal issue. And so we're going to be talking about outward battles, the fights uh, that we all have. Uh, and I want you to think about those disagreements, those arguments, the things that maybe you've had this week, maybe this month, uh, certainly in this lifetime, and the core reasons for those. And ultimately, we're going to see that Jesus can heal us, and he can fill that void, uh, that hole in each one of us, uh, and give us some peace so that we can love each other well as we love God. And so let's jump in. We're going to be in the first 12 verses, and we'll walk through them. Uh, but let's, uh, let's cover the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll stop a few times and talk about um, outward battles and the inward war. James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So hint, that's the title of this. The fights and quarrels among you come from the evil desires at war within you. Verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? All right, there's a lot to unpack. Let's walk through this. We're going to cover the first four verses. Here in the beginning, we're talking about the problem. So the first thing we see is the problem is our selfish desires. This is the war that's waging within us, our selfish desires. Now, right off the bat, do you see any pattern, any repetition? And when you see the word, feel free to call it out. What do you see? You have any words underlined here? You. That's the key word. 22 times in the first four verses. You, 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 you. One of the most basic, um, you know, fundamental principles in preaching when you're talking with a congregation is uh, to, to say we when you're challenging. So it's not so forthright. Like you. And James is like, no, I don't preach that way. <laughs> I'm going to tell you straight up, this isn't just we. This is you. You struggle with this. You got drama going on inside. You, you, you. So let's walk through each one of these. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? So that's the first question, and he answers it immediately. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So it comes from our desires. It comes from our heart. That's the root of all of this, right? We know our hearts are wicked. They're deceitful above all things. But ultimately what he's saying in verses one and even into two is that like you're lacking something, now you're unfulfilled. This is why you're miserable inside. And because you're miserable inside, it's making you fight with other people. I mean, look at the core of the arguments that you've had with just about anybody. Your spouse? Well, your spouse isn't perfect, but have, have they prompted every fight you've ever had with them? No, like you're unhappy, aren't you? Sometimes you're just grumpy. You're just unhappy, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm miserable inside, and I can't articulate it all the time, but I know um, that... Uh, little things trigger, and like I'm prone to fight. I'm prone to quarrel. My boss, I know they're not perfect, but man, I just, mm, sometimes I'll go off on them verbally. Sometimes it's just in my own heart, but like I, I'm displeased with them on a regular basis. And James is saying, why? You think it's because of them? Well, yeah, that's always because of them. 
It's always, right? You get two people in marriage counseling together, and you're often going to have uh, them both be able to articulate what's wrong with the other person, but not necessarily take responsibility for their own actions. And James is saying, you've got to take care of you. you you've got to take responsibility for what's going on in here. And you've got to understand, the external stuff, he said, she said, this happened to me, I couldn't control it, I had a bad day because of what others did to me, it happens to everybody. But that's not the reason you fight. The reason you fight is because you got wickedness in here. You're miserable inside. And for some of us, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't, we don't truly have a faith in Jesus. We might know about Jesus, but we've got, as they say, a hole in the soul, right? That God-sized void inside. And so placing our faith in Christ is the first step. Coming to him and just submitting to him is the first step. For some, it's a hole. For others, the issue is it's a flicker. He's like, well, I know Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. So why is the war still raging within me? Because it happens for even believers too, doesn't it? Like believers fight, right? We've got issues. And yet the issue is that the Spirit of God is inside of us. And the war that's raging is because uh, we know even though we're sealed with the Spirit, we don't fan it into flame. We're not in the Word. We're not talking to God. We're not living in Christ. And so the further that we try to go from him and yet still be tethered to him, we feel this tension. God's saying, come back to me, and you know you're miserable. How many of you have, have been in the word on a regular basis, and then you stop reading the word, and then you can tell, like, you just feel more miserable, right? He's saying that, that there's a war that rages within each one of us, whether it's a hole for those who don't know him at all, or a flicker for those who do, but don't ever fan the spirit into flame. He says, you want, in verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. So that's that, that's that 2020, the Dateline stories, right? Oh, I, I wanted something. I had the good marriage. I had the good piece of property, the house and everything, but I wanted, I wanted money. So a lot of times there's like that life insurance thing involved, like, oh, well, they just happened to take a life insurance claim out before so-and-so happened to pass away. And then you're like, man, this is like, you wanted something. You're just so greedy. When is enough enough? He says, sometimes it's that you see other people that have stuff, and you want it. So you're jealous. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You ever come home from work and seen that your spouse had a better day than you? And so, like, you, you start conflict just because you're like, you know what? Like, I'm miserable, but you're happy. And although, on one hand, I want you to be happy, but on the other hand, I'm jealous of your happiness. So I kind of just want you to not be as happy as you are, Right? We, we do this all the time. And why do we do little things like that? Why do we poke and prod? It's because our heart. Exactly. You try to take it away from them, yet you don't have, at the end of verse 2, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So some people, they're, they're like toddlers, right? What does a toddler want the most? What toy does he want? Well, whatever's not in his room. <laughs> right? You ever look at your kids and be like, you got so many books, but all the books you want to read are just the ones that come from the library. And what all the other kids got, right? And so then, what's this, well, what else do kids want? They want not just what they don't have, they want what someone else has. So they see the other kid with the toy, and so they go get it. And then there's toys that they could get from mom and dad, but they don't even ask mom and dad. And so they just cry because they don't have anything to do. They say, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And it's like, come on, man. You don't, you don't have something, and so you want more. You, you, you want what your friends have. You don't even ask us who can give you all the toys in the world. You're just miserable, and James is saying, that, that's not just toddlers, that's, all, that's adults. That's us. That's us. They used to call me when I was a little kid, 
like four or five, my nickname was the human garbage disposal. Because what I'd do is I'd finish my plate of food, and then I would go to the people around me in my family, and I had two older brothers, two younger sisters, and I would ask if they were done with their food, and if not, I would... I, I would probably try to get what they wanted. If they were done with their food, I would just take what they had and I would eat their food. And I would just eat, 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 consume, 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 and bounce from plate to plate to plate. Silas is in that stage right now. And sometimes it happens for like three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. Like lunch for him, I kid you not, it takes like an hour and a half, like a full hour and a half, sometimes longer. He's eaten lunch for so long that immediately when he finishes lunch, he asks, he asks for a snack. And I say, how do you, <laughs> how'd you go from lunch? It's like your meals are like a five-course meal. And he wants a snack immediately after. And I say, snacks are to hold you over until the next meal. Well, when you take two hours per meal, there's no time in between. We went to kindergarten roundup. They said, okay, so the, the kids have about 20 minutes to eat, but we know, we know, hey, we know what you're thinking, kindergartners. They, they're often slow, so we give them usually about five more minutes. I'm thinking, he doesn't even get through his appetizer <laughs> in 25 minutes. He ain't never going to get an entree at this school, and he's going to have to learn. But that's how some of us live our lives. We're never satisfied. We bounce from thing to thing. Okay, I'm going to fix this house up and I'm going to sell this house and it's going to be amazing. And then uh, I'm, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out. Now this is just one year. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go to the gym. I work out so I can get that right body. Okay, I got a decent body. Didn't go to the gym exactly how I wanted to. But now, now I'm going to go and I'm going to um, uh, work on my marriage or maybe I'm going to get a different spouse or I'm going to go do a career move. Time for a career move. And if we look at the last 5, 10, 15 years of our lives, we looked at patterns. We just see bouncing from thing to thing to thing. What's going to make me happy? What's going to satisfy me? And just like with Silas, when he has those two-hour lunches, we have to tell him, listen, buddy, if you just stop eating for like 20 minutes, your stomach will communicate to your brain that you got enough. And for believers, sometimes it's nights like this where our soul cries out and reminds us, hey, if you got Christ, you got enough. Quit bouncing from thing to thing to thing to make you happy. When are you going to be satisfied? Verse 3, and even when you ask, you don't, get, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So he says, some of you, 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 you don't ask. But then when you do ask, you come and you're just talking about yourself and what you want. Picture standing before the God of the universe and being amazed by God. And what are you going to do spending your time? You're going to just ask for stuff? He's going to ask for stuff? He says, what are you doing? Here's, a, here's what I've found over the years. There's two types of seekers, two types of people who, who pray. Those who want the gifts and those who want the giver. We all enjoy gifts. But there are people who are perpetually miserable even though they know Jesus as Lord and Savior because when they talk to him, they're just asking for things from him. And although they can enjoy those things, those things might be good, they're not the giver. They're things from the giver. And so he can bless your marriage. He can give you these things you're asking. Some of them, like they're not all evil. Some of them can be really good things, but there's still something missing. And as you mature in Christ, you realize like, man, if he never gives me anything else, if no circumstance ever gets better, if he stopped all blessings flowing right now, I got all I need in Christ. Like the giver is what's going to satisfy me. 
not just the gifts. Don't sell yourself short. When you've got a relationship with God, it's about God, not just our own pleasures. In verse 4, he says, you adulterers. So listen to that language. You're an adulterer. You see, we're talking about a marriage in Christ. You're created to be with God in a union with God in a new covenant with God. And he's saying, you're an adulterer. He's saying, so this is crazy because this is, he's saying, this is what the church is like. It's one thing to cheat on your spouse, right? That's adultery. To say, okay, I know I've got you, but I want someone else. It's a whole other thing to come to God and to say, okay, God, I know, I know that I'm married to you. The church is the bride of Christ, but I, I'm going to cheat on you. And what I'm going to need from you is um, I'm going to need you to go find someone for me to be with. And if you could give me that, um, and that would just take a lot of work off of my plate, and that would be good. Like, how would your spouse, if you said that to them, like, not only am I going to cheat on you, but you go find me who, I'm gonna, who, I, who I want and then bring them to me. How would they handle that? And James is saying, that's what we do. When we come to God and it's, hey, God, give me this better, this better, this better, this. Give me these other things that I think will make me happy. We're saying, God, I know we've got you, but I want something else. And if you could actually be the one to get me that something else, that would be great. Make it really easy for me. And James is like, do you understand what you're doing? Like this is coming from from wickedness. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. You ever had your mom or dad repeat something twice and you knew like, oh, you got, you got to listen up. So I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So this is why many of us are miserable. This is what's happening is we're standing in this gray zone that doesn't really exist. Okay, I know I've got God and I know the giver is the only one. God himself is the only one who can satisfy my soul. Until then, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to fight with people. I'm going to fight in here. We fight outwardly because we fight inwardly. But I also kind of want what the world has to offer. And so we're stuck in between. And he's saying, I, you need to know very clearly, there actually is no in-between. There's no in-between. But so much of us as the church, so many of us, struggle with trying to get in between. And he's like, it doesn't exist. It's a place that doesn't exist. This is why you feel an incredible tension in your heart. This is why a couple times a week you feel filled with the Spirit and you're like, oh man, I love God. I love being a believer. The rest of the week, you're kind of miserable. You're waking up unhappy. You're going to bed unhappy. You're fighting for reasons you don't even know why you're fighting. Never fully feel satisfied. Like, what satisfies you right now? Where are you seeking your joy, your fulfillment? And James is saying, you have a deep-rooted desire to be fulfilled by God and God alone. But you've got to go to God and God alone to find that satisfaction. Verses 5 through 12, we see the solution. So the first thing is the problem, verses 1 through 4. That's selfish desires, but the solution, verses 5 through 10, is godly humility. Verse 5, he says, do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? He said, like, don't you understand the word of God is the word of God? And when it talks to you, this is God talking. you got to listen up. They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So the Bible is above us and God is creator of us, is what he's saying. And so when God creates you, that means he owns you. So when he breathed life into your 
into your flesh and bones. When you were in your mama's womb and you went from just a ball of flesh to ba-boom, 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 a heartbeat started and you have a spirit. He's saying, from the moment I placed that spirit in you, I've been trying to get it back. I want, I want, I'm jealous of you. I love you. I want you. God's jealous. He gave you He gave you your life and he wants it back. He wants to be with you, that we would be faithful to him. And verse 6, and he gives grace generously. So this is great news for all of us because it's saying, James saying, I I know, I know that you make mistakes like I make mistakes. We've all made mistakes. And no matter where you're at, like if you're saying, okay, so I get it, you Pastor Ryan, you've told me verses one through four. Like, I get it, man. You hammered it home. Now what? I just feel miserable. He's saying, there's really good news. The grace abounds. Only thing standing in the way is your pride. But if you can let your pride go, if you can say, no, 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 that stuff earlier that we were talking about, like whether I like it or not, that's me. But I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to say, yeah, that sin is mine. I'm claiming it. But man, I want to give it to Jesus. And so I'm going to humble myself that grace will abound. This is for you. This is for me. This is the good news of the gospel. This is good, good news. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. So this is one of the things in Scripture that you'll pick up on when you read enough. You realize God is going to do a bunch of things for us. But one thing he says you got to do is humble yourself. So you humble you. Now, God will humble all of us in the end if we don't choose to humble us now. But we got to choose. It's a choice. Resist the devil. So if you're going to come to God and you're like, okay, I'm coming to God. I realize that like, I can only find fulfillment in him. I want to get this right. If I got the whole, I want it filled with Jesus and realize that what he did on the cross, he emptied himself so that he can ultimately fill me with his spirit. And if I got just a flicker, man, I got the Holy Spirit in me, but I just have not been fanning it into flame, but I'm ready to fan it into flame. Let's do this. We can do this. He says, you've got to resist the devil because he's going to lie to you. He's going to tell you, do you really want to be devoted to God? Is he really going to satisfy you? Is he really going to fulfill you? I mean, maybe this is what it's all about. Like you just go to church every now and then. You read some scriptures and hope that magically your life is transformed. Yeah, sure, that's what it's all about. Are you sure? Because there's a lot of other things out there that other people all over the world are doing that bring them lots of happiness. And your heart desires those things, so why don't you go after them? And he's saying, you've got to resist the devil. Like, he ain't just going to be like, you know what, I've had my foot on your neck for most of your life, and you felt helpless, and you want God to release you from it. Like You think the Satan's just going to be like, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm getting tired of standing anyway, so I'm going to go, I'm gonna go sit down for a while. No, he's, he's going to come back, and he's going to say, I'm going to put my foot on your neck again. And you're going to experience spiritual warfare, but you've got to resist Satan lying to you, trying to trick you and deceive you. And then what happens? He'll flee from you, right? He'll get away from you. That's a beautiful, beautiful promise we see in Scripture. Verse 8. So come close to God, and God will come close to you. You say, wait, I've read in the Bible that God, like, he runs after us. He pursues us. And then I've also heard that, like, God will meet you where you are. But then I've also heard that, like, he draws us to himself. So which one is it? Is he hanging out over here, and we come to him? Do we meet him halfway, or does he run to come get us? All of them. That's good news. (laughs) All of it. We see that imagery 
in all those ways in our relationship with him. But you come and you seek God and you will find him. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, O sinners, and purify your hearts. So he's saying, you're getting ready for something. You're you're getting rid of your old life. What we're seeing here in all these verses as we walk through them is a holistic view of repentance. So, So there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, but he's saying this is what it looks like to turn from your old life and to say, wow, the only thing standing between me and God is my pride. Because he'll take my sin. But if, if I humble myself, if I submit myself to him, if I draw close to him, like he's promising me, he's there. This is good news. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash my hands of my old life. You ever said that about something? Like I'm washing my hands of this relationship. I'm washing my hands of this responsibility. I'm washing my hands of this job, this project. He's saying, wash your hands of your old life. And when you say you're done with it, be done with it. Be done with it. Because the devil's going to tell you, go back to it. Your heart's going to say, I still desire parts of it. But he's saying, I want to give you a new heart that desires the things of God. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We talked about that earlier. Verse 9, so let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. I talked to someone today on the phone. They called me. They said in a very straight voice, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I never met this person before. I didn't know them. And I have questions about your church. And, um, and I said, okay, well, kind of taken back. Let's talk a little bit. And as we talked, um, I said, what, what happened? I said, last night I um, realized some things and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I um, repented of my sins. And I, I said, good, that's good. But like, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Like when someone says, I repented of my sins. And you say, well, you turn away. Is it a one-time thing? What, what is it? It's something you continue. You keep going. It's a lifestyle. Jesus says, repent, believe, follow me, be baptized. You don't need to be baptized a whole bunch of times. When you follow him, that's a daily thing, right? But to repent, it's an everyday thing kind of thing he tells us in Luke chapter 9 after he speaks about his own death he says in verse 23 then he said to the crowd if any of you wants to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your cross this is the word daily daily so to take up your cross is to say okay there are things I have to die to there's an old life that I'm, I'm not going to live anymore and this isn't easy this is hard but each day I get to wake up and choose. I've got a guy I walked through 18 months of him and his spouse going through a divorce. And, and the lies of the enemy throughout this whole thing, like he couldn't, he couldn't believe it. He got some clarity and revelation um, towards the end, but it, he saw that his spouse didn't, and their heart was, was hardened towards the situation. And it's always a two-way street. But I asked him several times, how do you think they got this way? How did you guys get this way? You think that this has happened overnight? Because they claim, both of them claim to be believers. I said, life can be complicated, but it can also be simple. Each day, you get to wake up and decide, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to deny my desires for the things of this world and, and fan into flame and obey the things of God? And your life has a trajectory. 
and you don't always see each day how that plays into the bigger picture, but one day you look back and say, oh my, these big decisions came from little decisions. This one-time monster change in our life came from daily choices. And James is saying, man, let there, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be remorse, he's saying. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So you don't have to worry about lifting yourself up in life. You've got to think about humbling yourself. God will take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. Let me ask you. When you think about repentance and you think about your life, um, what if you decided to go to the gym? I know that sounds crazy, but let's just say hypothetically, you wanted to go to the gym. And you went to the gym and you signed up because you got to have a membership, right? And you knew you needed to work out. People told you, you looked in the mirror, you just checked your, you know, your blood pressure, you're like, man, I got to work out. I got to work out. And so you sign up as a member and you work out once. You come back the next day because you know that night, like, I still got to work out. Day two, you come back, you sign up as a member again, but you just go home. Third day, you're like, man, I got to come back. So you sign up as a member again, but you go home. You do this day after day after day, and then you talk to a personal trainer and say, why is my life not changing? Because I know I need to come to the gym. I need to work out. Each day, I come and I sign up to be a member. He says, well, don't you work out? Well, no. Well, man, I just want to, I'm, I'm, I know I need to, so I sign up as a member. You say, no, no, no. It's obviously the opposite, right? You got to sign up once, and you're in the club, right? You're, you're part of the family, and then you work out each day. And you say, this is a stupid example. Why are you telling us this? Because this is how we treat the Christian life. We grow up thinking, oh, my life's off the rails a little bit. I'm going to go back to church, walk the altar, and give Jesus a recommitment of my life. Does that make you feel better? That you recommitted your life to Jesus? Because Jesus never asked for recommitments. He asked for repentance. You can sign up to be part of the, the family every day you go to church, right? But the truth is, you come into the family one time. Whether you're going to work out your salvation is a daily choice. Whether you're going to repent of sin is a daily choice. It's a lifestyle. So these things that we're reading here, verses 5 through 10, you're like, that's a whole bunch of stuff. Do I do it once and just move on? No, you get to enjoy this each day. You get to enjoy this knowing that when you make mistakes, when you're like, man, I didn't do some of this stuff, like, you can rest in the grace of God. You be remorseful for your sins. You humble yourself. You come back to him. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Each and every day we get to, we get to know he is faithful. Last but not least, verses 11 and 12. Got the reminder that God is judged. So verses 1 through 4, the problem. We got selfish desires. Verses 5 through 10 show us the solution. Godly humility. As Christ humbled himself, Philippians 2 became nothing, emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, we respond in humbling ourselves the way Jesus did. And then we see in verses 11 and 12 a good reminder that only God is judge. Verse 11 says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging 
the law. So what he's saying is, listen, when you don't have pride anymore, you don't have to play the comparison game. Because you don't care what you look like in comparison to the people around you. And then you can just love. Like when, when the void is filled, when you're not lacking anymore because Jesus lives inside of you, his spirit has filled you, then there's freedom, there's rest in that. You don't have to put others down to exalt yourself. You have humbled yourself and Christ will exalt you. So you don't have to judge anyone. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. So he's saying, here's the thing. You've been shown mercy, and I've told you not to slander. Some of your translations will say slander. I've told you not to slander or judge each other. So when you do, you're not just sinning against them. You're sinning against God. You're saying, hey, God, um, I know that other people aren't supposed to judge other people, but as for me, I'm going to. And he's like, no, that's not your job. Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. In verse 12, he finishes and says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Hmm. This is good. What right do you have to judge your neighbor? It's interesting that we often say, only God can judge me. You ever said that? You ever heard someone say that? Only God can judge me. And that very statement often comes from a place of arrogance, doesn't it? Like, you can't judge me, but only God can judge me. As if, like, that's a better <laughs> place of judgment. It's like, uh, that's actually way scarier than having your neighbor judge you. But when you humble yourself, there's freedom in realizing only God can judge. Because not only do you not have to play the comparison game, but you also see that in Christ, we don't have to worry about condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation in Christ. Like, this is good news, church. We get to enjoy this. We get to enjoy freedom in Christ. And so when you know, man, God is the judge, and yet at the same time, God has paid the price for my sins, and he's going to judge me as he judges his son, and he sees his son as perfect and holy and righteous, and so he will see me as that, even though I obviously don't reflect that each and every day like I would hope to. Then there is great freedom. You, you turn to the person next to you, and you're like, because God has given me mercy, i got to give you mercy. I can't judge you anymore. I don't feel the need to, and I don't have the authority to. You get to enjoy mercy. Think about how this impacts your fighting, your relationships. The marriage that said, well, I know what's wrong with them. And they can say, well, I know what's wrong with you. All of a sudden, it's not about what's wrong with you anymore. It's about me taking responsibility for what's in here and giving that to Jesus and letting him create in us a clean heart and to be able to breathe spiritually and rest in the finished work of Jesus and to know mercy has been shown so I don't have to get on my spouse about all the ways that they fail, all the ways that they make mistakes, my kids, and I don't have to exasperate them because they don't live up to my perfect standards. I can show them mercy. This is what God has given me. Isn't it beautiful how God has built into even creation things that make us feel small, that remind us there is a judge. I mean, you think about most of our daily lives, and you think about how, like, 
we're kind of, especially if you, if you have a job title where you're the boss or you're the parent, so you're kind of the boss of the kids, or if you feel like the boss at your home, like we're in positions that elevate ourselves. And God has these reminders in creation that let us know, right, we ain't that big. This is one thing that Tara and I do when we go on vacations. We often go to a place where we can camp. We go to a national park or something. And it's like, man, why do we love going to mountains? Why do you love going to mountains or the beach and to see the ocean? Is it just because it's pretty? And God created it. It's beautiful. But it's also because it makes you feel small, doesn't it? It makes you feel like, oh, wow, there are things that are bigger than me, and there's one who is bigger than the things that are bigger than me. And you realize, this is the judge. This is the judge. How many of you felt the earthquake the other night? Any of you? Some people don't. They didn't feel it at all. It happened just a few miles east of town. Tara and I, we felt it. Um, Silas was scared. He's been having a lot of nightmares with the whole snake thing. So every night he's been waking up at 3, 4 in the morning. And normally, you know, he's not going to come sleep with us. Um, but we've had a little bit more empathy because of his situation lately. And, and so he, that particular night, um, we said, just just crawl in bed, get in there. And he's a wiggle worm, man. He's just like, seriously, I, I don't know how to, he just kicks. He's so bony. You're like, how can you be so small and yet overwhelm us this much with your little tiny body? But he does. He's just kicking away. And he finally got to a place where he was resting. And then we felt him kick. And we heard what sounded like something on the roof. And we're like, what in the world? And then like 20 seconds later, we felt or we heard something else like on the roof. And we're like, I jumped up. I like walked the whole house. I was like, something is wrong. Something, something's weird. And the next morning we were talking to Silas about it. And we're like, dude, did you, did you feel that? And he's like, yeah, I felt it. And my whole body jumped up. And you're just like, oh, and Tara and I looked at each other like, could that be? Like we felt him kick. Like his whole body like popped up out of the bed. And you're like, gosh, think about that. Like an earthquake. Think about the power of that. That is overwhelming. And to think like just little reminders of that, uh, of God's power. You remember the Roman centurions? As we close out tonight, I want to remind you. The Roman centurions, the, the officers who mocked Jesus, who spit on him, who in Matthew chapter 27 We read that they took Jesus, verse 27, chapter 27, verse 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. They, then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! So this is the God of the universe because they live their own way, do their own thing in life. They've become the judge. <laughs> They're judging God as they fight against God, as enemies of God. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. And what happened shortly after that? Jesus died. And verse 54 says, The Roman officer 
So maybe the one who put the spear in him and the water and blood poured out at that moment not understanding how powerful that blood is. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake. So Jesus dies, he gives up his spirit, and the earth shakes, tombs are open, people walk around the city, everyone knows, non-believers and believers, God is God and God is here. This man is no ordinary man. And all this happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. Isn't it interesting? That all of us on Judgment Day will stand before God in awe or terror when we see how powerful He is. The same judge who who, um, can lock us in prison can set us free. And those who are in prison will be in terror. And those who are set free in Christ by the blood of Christ poured out seconds before this We'll just be in awe, knowing that only God is judge. Thank God that only he is judge. Because each one of us has outward battles we're fighting because of inward wars that are raging. And it's because this judge sent his son to fight a battle on a cross and to win a war over the grave and to be raised three days later that we can be filled and satisfied in a relationship with God, unlike anything the world knows. And we can just love God. We can love others. And this is how God created it to be. But it starts with a relationship with Jesus that we fan into flame each and every day.